Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm with a proclamation of the faith of our heart the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, selfishness, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The return to the ancient path of goodness, this is the name that our pastor had given to this place of scripture. To find or return to the ancient path of goodness is to enter into the kingdom of heaven through narrow gates, which scripture defines as the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. The essence of the kingdom of heaven in the teaching of Jesus is known by such ethereal qualities as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, therefore, in seeking the kingdom of heaven in the form of the ancient path, we must do it in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as we've seen before, few people manage to return to the ancient path of goodness or to find the narrow gates found in the teachings of Jesus. And this means, as Jesus often said, that the majority will inherit eternal damnation because through their own ignorance they will be unable to find the narrow gates in Christ's teaching. But those who enter by the narrow gates used the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ, will inherit eternal life. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is how Christ said of this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So here, Christ specifically had stated how it is possible to return to the ancient path of goodness. 
out of what we have read, a question comes up, and here we can find the answer. How do we find and return to the ancient path of goodness? This is to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which is defined by criterias, unchanging criterias such as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we enter into the kingdom of heaven out of what we have read? Here we receive the answer that this is to find and enter through the narrow gate. To enter the narrow gate and to enter, to find it and then to enter by it. The next question, well, what are narrow gates? They are defined as the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. So pay attention here. When we hear the word of God, when we dwell in the teaching, we can provide, uh, ask questions and during the sermon receive answers. And this is important for us to be able to understand this word of God, this truth that we have. And that's why we need to, when hearing or when reading, when we read the Word of God, we must ask questions because in this Word, there is going to be an answer provided as well. To lay a foundation for our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of the Apostle Paul, who through the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit was able to describe the order found in the teachings of Jesus using a few concise definitions. These are contained in the four base teachings. This is the doctrine of baptisms, the doctrine of laying on of hands. Third, this is the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And fourth, this is the doctrine of eternal judgment. This is written in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. And let's read it in more in an extended translation. It is going to sound like the following. Therefore, having sprinkled ourselves with the reigning teaching of Christ and being clothed in the armor of light that is contained in the reign of this teaching, let us build ourselves into the house of God because it is impossible to lay a foundation twice. The foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This foundation is laid only one time. And upon this foundation we must build. And we each build differently. Some of us build out of precious stones, gold, silver, and someone builds out of wood, hay, and straw. Why? Because we have dead works, which we have not left. And whatever we may build upon this foundation, it is then going to be a food for the fire. That's why it's necessary to be rid of dead works, so that our building can, is not the food for fire. And we must agree with those definitions that we are offered by the word of God through the word of the person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God, which we together do. We have noted that the order of the kingdom of heaven found in these teachings has one ultimate goal, and in the pursuit of this goal, each one of the four teachings has three functions, all of which add up to twelve. So one teaching that Christ has. This one teaching in Eden is divided into four rivers. One river, and then these four rivers become for us the twelve base teachings. That's why it's not easy to find twelve. If a person does not have this river of life in himself, However, he may read the Word of God or see the number 12 in Scripture. It's going to be completely closed off to him. Everything begins from one. Everything begins from the Word of God, mighty in the Holy Spirit, who uncovers the meaning of this Word. And then he will show how 
four teachings are formed and how they are divided into 12. So when someone thinks, well, I can find it myself. Yes, of course, after you've, you've explained, then we begin to be prideful in our mind. Here we see the number 12. Here we see the number 12. And we begin to run ahead of pastor after he has already explained and showed everything. Therefore, to see this teaching is not just in a dictionary or in this book of symphony. This is the dictionary. To find the number 12, however many places scriptures we find or read, we might think that we know the teaching of Christ, but this is not so. When we looked at the doctrine of das baptisms, which we are going to continue to look at, we have noted that it is one, it is, has unity in the sense that all three baptisms immerse us in the death of the Lord Jesus, yet each baptism performs a separate function. For instance, the main function of water baptism is to separate man from the world, which lives in evil. The main function of baptism in the Holy Spirit is to separate us from the vain life of our forefathers. And the main function of baptism in fire is to separate the new man from the old. So through these baptisms, we become foreigners, orphans, and widows. And here are the three main functions that are found in the three baptisms that are one baptism. Why is it then divided into three? Because God has different functions for us that are going to be able to lead us and to be uh, in union with His essence. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, says John the Baptist, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, he says of Christ. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Each one of the three baptisms performs many functions besides its main one, and these ones work only with each other because they depend on each other and verify each other. For this, today we will continue to examine the teaching of water baptism, which is practically the root of the ancient path of goodness, because it defines the first fundamental commandment of Christ, without which we cannot fulfill any of the other commandments at the foundation of Christ's teaching. So everything begins by making with God a contract in baptism and water. That's why if someone has already done water baptism, then today we will once again and affirm and remember those riches and those powers that are found in water baptism. But those who are are ready to step into an eternal covenant with God, today they will hear what water baptism contains in itself. And today we are going to continue to study this. This is going to be the second lesson when we are talking about water baptism. We had talked about it in our first lesson last week and today we will look at the second lesson looking at water baptism before being resurrected and leaving his disciples to go to his father jesus instructed them to find in every nation people who would be willing to wear the mantle of discipleship and to baptize them in water in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything he has commanded them this is written in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We have noted that in this instance, Jesus was speaking only of water baptism because baptism in the Holy Spirit and with fire can only be done by God, not by man. If in water baptism, he said to the apostles, go and baptize them and baptism in, they said in what? Baptism, fire, and Holy Spirit? No, he said this, I will do in the church with the saints, but you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through water baptism. So it produces. First thing baptism does, God does through man. If a person who is found in the church does not acknowledge the status of the person who is clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God or the apostle, then he can't make the very first covenant contract with God. He needs to acknowledge the status of the messenger of God, who is going to be able to uh, going to be able to help him commit this water baptism and then Holy Spirit and fire. This is done by God. Sometimes people come up and say, I want to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'd like for you to pray with me. Uh, all that is necessary is to be present with man upon this birth. But this pastor that he does his prayer with, he does not do the baptism. We they, we pray together, and this person begins to uh, begins to speak in tongues. I can simply pr- participate. I, for example, received it without a person when no one was home. I stood in the middle of the room. I lifted my hands to the heavens because when I was a child, we went in Kazakhstan in Almaty. We went to unregistered Pentecostal church. And for them to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit, it was necessary to yell out loud, baptize me, baptize me, baptize me, baptize me. But I was a very uh, a quiet boy. It was, I was uncomfortable to say these things out loud. I thought, well, how, what kind of a method is this to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit? Therefore, to accept it and to not be embarrassed, I just stood by myself and I asked, Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And I began to speak the pastor received the gift of tongues and baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, during the dream when he was sleeping and his parents were witnesses of this who stood with him and prayed while he was sleeping. The baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire is there where God is present. A baptism in water, which we are talking about today, it is impossible to commit this without Zion, without the messenger of God. And this is the first covenant, first contract that we make with God. We are in need of Zion and the person who could commit, who help us commit this baptism. We also noted that the true significance and importance of water baptisms is so great that it directly involves our righteousness and our salvation, without which we could not practice works of righteousness and perfect our salvation. Matthew chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. One uh, was no longer with them. He was the one who betrayed. There were 11 that he had come to. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. From these last insistent words of Christ, empowering his apostles to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all creation, it follows that those people who believed in Christ but did not seal their faith with water baptism, or, if they did accept water baptism, 
did not, due to their ignorance, understand its power or the responsibilities that come with it, they will not be able to do works of righteousness and perfect their salvation because they will live not according to its purpose and power, but according to their own ignorance, which, which they will be cast into eternal damnation. So take a look, a very unique. Pastor compares those people who did not want to seal their faith with water baptism and those that did accept water baptism, but they don't understand due to their ignorance, its power or responsibilities. What is ignorance? Ignorance is stiffness, a stiff heart. I don't want someone to teach me. I myself will find on the internet what scripture says about water baptism. I'll find it in the dictionary in the symphony book. We won't find this. How could we find these riches in the symphony? Show me the symphony where all of this would be written and it would be highlighted in italics, in bold letters, highlighted highlighted passages. Show me the symphony that show would show this. It doesn't exist. This symphony is only found in the Church of Christ. Therefore, let's understand that those who accepted water baptism, if we don't understand the essence that is found in it, then Scripture compares us to those people who have not sealed their faith with water baptism. They were just a, a religious act. Hosea 4.6 my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Hosea 4, 6. I will forget your promises. This means I will also forget your children. I will forget your promises. If we reject the true vision or true information regarding water baptism and satisfy ourselves with the partial knowledge our intellect is capable of, then we consign ourselves to damnation. In all this, we must remember that there is a cardinal difference between John the Baptist's baptism unto repentance and the Apostle's baptism as a seal of righteousness. Again, there exists a cardinal difference between these. So, the faith teaching of Christ it does not come from baptism of John. Baptism of John is the baptism of the Old Testament. It had baptized the sinners so that they can repent and prepare the way to meet with the Lord, so that then they can make a new baptism in water, and the next water baptism, a baptism is not into repentance, but it is a baptism in which I have repented, I have been justified, and now I affirm myself through this water baptism as righteous in Christ Jesus. Acts the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Well, we've been baptized into John's baptisms. Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They are talking about water baptism. And when Paul had laid their hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. It follows from this account that John's baptism unto repentance first did not immerse people in the death of Christ. It only prepared to meet with Christ. And second, it did not act as a seal of righteousness because they here were repented of their sins and received forgiveness. Forgiveness is not always justification. Justification always includes forgiveness. And third, it did not open the door to baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
the baptism of John. Now, based on all of these definitions, what then does water baptism do? It immerses me in the death of the Lord Jesus. Second, but water baptism is a seal of righteousness. And third, it opens the door to baptism in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's very important when you accept water baptism to know what you are being baptized into. More accurately, we must know the contents, privileges, and responsibilities that come with the action you perform being baptized in water. We are responsible for these actions. Because any commandment and any promise will be fulfilled only according to the measure of a person's knowledge. If we accept water baptism, but do not know its true contents or the powers that come with it, then our baptism will be illegitimate. In order to accept water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, we must not try to understand the power contained in water baptism using our own intellect. We must allow the watchman God placed over us, who carries his baton, who has the undistorted truth. When we talk about the baton, this means that they accepted the truth, kept it, and passed it along to the next people in an, un, in an intact format. We are reading about that which Adam had passed along in Eden, that which he passed along to Abraham, that which Abraham passed along to Jesus Christ. Jesus passed it along to the apostles. Today the apostles passed it on to the other messengers of God. They passed it along to us. This is the truth that is intact. It is completely filled with that teaching that had dwelled in Israel, where Holy Yahweh was praised. Everything is filled with it. Therefore, it's necessary for us to allow the watchman that God placed over us in our lives to teach us how to follow the ancient path of goodness. Without a watchman that God has placed in our lives, we will be unable to understand or accept water baptism. Water baptism, we will provide a definition, is a foundational truth and teaching from which we can see follow the 12 elementary teachings of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. So these are the 12 foundations. The first foundation is this stone that is called water baptism. And this tile stone was placed by the person, by the man of God, together with me. Take a look. Who lays this foundation? The Lord lays it through his, through his messengers. Water baptism contains the inheritance of the great mystery found in circumcision, which was an eternal covenant independent of the law of Moses. So, Abraham, before the law of Moses, accepted this circumcision, and then it was this circumcision throughout the law of Moses pointed to the heart of a person, to a person's lips that were necessary to be, uh, to be contrite and bridled. Therefore, priests that entered the temple this priest understood that the circumcision of the foreskin, the, force, uh, the foreskin of the flesh, it did not talk about circumcision on the body, but this meant that his heart had to be circumcised. And therefore, every promise of circumcision, we are talking about, again, those things that we see in the Word of God, they can be realized in baptism, in water baptism. Therefore, when we talk about circumcision, it always talks about death, talks about baptism. 
And let us today look at the purpose in water baptism. What are the purposes of it? First, the purpose of water baptism is to be a sign of the covenant between us and God that we belong to Him. Genesis chapter 17, verses 13 through 14. The Lord turns to Abraham. Abraham, who was not in the law of Moses, who was not according to the law, who was according to grace, and who had spoken with God, he said to him, He who was born in your house, and he who was bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. He who was not circumcised will be destroyed from among the people, for he has violated my covenant. According to this statement, a male organ became a sign of the covenant between God and man when it was circumcised. The absence of circumcision was a breach of the covenant, and an uncircumcised man was banished from those who are saved. We today see who came from Abraham, Islam, the Arabic nation, they also are circumcised. But not Islam, Islam or the Jews understand the true essence of circumcision, that behind it is the circumcised heart of a person. And that circumcised heart must be circumcised by both male and females. All that come into the presence of God must have a circumcised heart. Let's talk about why God numerously mentions this circumcision. And what in the Old Testament this circumcision represented? Very interesting. Pastor explains it. In the Old Testament, the male member organ, depending on the context, was seen as one of three things. First, this is the foreskin. Second, this is the reproductive organ. And third, these are the genitals. And let's verify in ourselves, both male and females, children and elderly, do we have the presence of circumcision? What are our lips? Perhaps this is just going to be, we're speaking words that are cursing us. Let's read on further. And the Lord placed it in the shadows of the law, and He wanted to show something there. These three definitions showed that this member could perform three different functions, which point to the three functions performed by our tongue. And through our tongue, God, de God defines if our heart is circumcised or not. Therefore, when the foreskin was mentioned, this implied the role played by our tongue in making a covenant with God, where we testified the faith in our hearts that Jesus is Christ. So, the foreskin, the circumcised foreskin is the ability to proclaim the faith of our heart. When the reproductive organ was mentioned, this implied the function of our tongue in bearing a fruit from our lips, praising God. Leviticus chapter 21, verses 16 through 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man who is a eunuch. This is talking about how he is unable to produce in my proclamation, there is no fruit of lips that praise God. Not every prayer praises God, only the prayer that has a seed. And scripture says that those priests that did not have 
these elements in their prayer, they could not be allowed to go to service in the temple. Unable to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven and then to proclaim the faith of the heart and to praise God through the fruit of the lips. But uh, when genitals were mentioned, this is a third definition, this implied the function of our tongue in exclaiming words lacking faith. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 11 through 12 a very interesting place of scripture. If two men fight together and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall not pity her. In Israel, there was not woman without a hand. Perhaps they were not taken away because when they hear this, uh, this would, ha- would happen, the hand could be cut off. Now let's take a look what under these what we see under these two fighting men and what it means. Lord, what did you want to show? Because this is not me who wrote this. This is the Lord. You wrote this in your word. I understand that the Lord has a sense of humor, but I don't see him smiling here. I don't see him smiling here in this place of scripture. He acts towards this with trembling under the two fighting men signify a war in our essence between the new man and the old Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another but the soul stands and watches should I help should I help Should I use my intellect to help? No, don't. No need to help. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The wife of the old man is the power of the flesh, which uses its intellect to win. The wife of the new man is the power of the reborn spirit, which for its victory uses the mind of Jesus belonging to the new heart. So, the wife of the new man, the renewed soul, is never going to hold on to the, the, the genitals, but the flesh holds on to the intellect. It seizes it and proclaims not the faith of the heart, but proclaims and leads a kind of prayer that is filled with one's own intellect. To use... To defeat the old man, we utter true testimonies, but do not have faith in them and their hearts, then we are seizing the genitals. Again, if to defeat the old man, we utter true testimonies, but do not have faith in them and our hearts, meaning we open up the Bible, we look up Psalm, we read, what kind of problem do I have? A fever. Okay, we open up the Bible. All right. And a person begins to pray and begins to use this kind of prayer. But this is not present in the heart. Then what do we do in this case? This is seizing the genitals. But for this must become the property of my heart. What do we do? It's necessary for this to be found here. Who wrote this? The Holy Spirit? No. This Apostle Arkady had written. And then this 
this what we did not know begins to be understood and this will begin to understand ends up in our heart it becomes very unknown when it comes in our heart then that which was understanding to pastor and not understanding to us it is in our heart and the teaching that i dwelled in i have heard about since my childhood i begin to acknowledge because i am placing it in my mind and understanding it and those places of scripture that we perhaps were uncomfortable talking about before, we are talking about them comfortable because we understand the images behind them. Therefore, when we, trying to defeat the old man, utter testimonies that do not have faith in them in our hearts, we are seizing the genitals. In such a situation, Christ says that it is better to cut off the right hand and deprive ourselves of a promise for which we have no faith. When a person says, Lord, I do not want to take a promise because I don't have this promise in my heart. And for us to lose this promise because we didn't even have it, for it is better for us to lose that one promise than to lose everything that belongs to, a, to the faith in our hearts. Therefore, I make this promise, the faith in my heart, and begin to proclaim it. But when we seize the genitals, this means I don't have this promise in my heart. I just want to be young. I don't want to be old. I'm growing tired. I want to be young, we say. Why? Why be young? Do we not want to meet with the Lord? Sometimes you look at elderly people and sometimes you were jealous of them because they are soon going to see the Lord. Why do we hold on to life so dearly? We must hold on to life when we don't know our calling for God, our God's predestination for us that have been created in Christ Jesus, that have been created for good works. And these kind of people can hold on to life and to proclaim life. But those that don't know their predestination in Christ because they were not created in Christ Jesus, this is not for them. In this situation, Christ says that it is best, better to cut off the right hand and deprive ourselves of a promise for which we have no faith. Matthew 5.30 And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Apostle Paul explaining the situation called the two warring men, Isaac and Ishmael. Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 to 31. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. How do we define this? It is based on the hand that is cut off. Now with this hand, I can't uh, hold on to the promise. It's necessary for me to place this promise in my heart and to proclaim then the faith of my heart so that this hand could all have, so that all of us, all of us Christians who have believed in Christ Jesus, that this hand that takes on to the promises that is not in our heart, for it to be cut off. Well, people say, well, then I'll lose the promise. Well, we don't even have it in the first place. The promise is not taken by the hand. The promise is placed in the heart and it is proclaimed through the meek, bridled lips. In this way, water baptism contains the power of the Holy Spirit which can bridle our tongue with the death of our Lord Jesus. Proverbs 15.4 a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A meek or bridled tongue is the foreskin that is the tree of life, but an unbridled tongue is the genitals that shows the crushing of our spirit by the flesh. These are what our lips are. Again, second, 
The purpose of water baptism is to imprint us with the seal of righteousness through our faith in Jesus Christ, which we had earlier when we accepted salvation before being baptized. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. And after he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had a while still uncircumcised. Therefore, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ concerns people who have not just repented, but to whom righteousness was imputed earlier. Because of this, such a baptism contained within itself the potential to fulfill all righteousness. So water baptism, it is placed on a seal, as a seal of righteousness. John's baptism, I repent before God and I leave all my sins. I rise up and I thank God for forgiveness. The baptism in Jesus Christ, before I am being immersed into water, I will repent my sins with the priest. With him, I will proclaim my justification in Christ Jesus. And then the anointed one of God will say, Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I believe. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And in this moment, a seal is placed upon a person who has been justified. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I indeed be, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. The thing is, is that here the Lord had affirmed baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't come to John in order to repent in his sins. Messiah himself came to John to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. This righteousness is comprised of the fact that we begin a life with God by making a covenant with Him. He says, thus it is us fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Here a seal of righteousness was placed on the document of righteousness. With these words, Jesus Christ showed us that water baptism, if we understand the authority contained in it, has the power to fulfill all righteousness. A seal as such can only mark a contract between two parties who have already made a legal agreement. Therefore, water baptism, we have a seal, and in our heart there must be a correctly formulated uh, contract. A person, before undergoing water baptism, he must understand what this document is upon which a seal of righteousness must be represented. means he has to be uh, forgiven, justified in Christ Jesus, not according to his own works or thoughts, but according to his origin. Although the thoughts that we have are like the thoughts of Satan, but I thank you, Lord, that I have a spirit that is saved, that I have been born of you, and you have saved my spirit, and I will spread this salvation to my soul and to my body that is perishing. I will spread it, and everything begins from the righteousness in the heart. I thank you for this righteousness, and then I make this right, I seal this righteousness in water baptism. Therefore, we baptize not sinners, but those who have already been justified. Third, the purpose of water baptism is to give God the legal right to write a person's name into the book of life. This is what water baptism does. Genesis 17:12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who was born in your house, again about circumcision, talking about it, we talk about water baptism. He who was born in your house or brought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. Before the circumcision performed on the eighth day, a person was outside of the covenant that contained his calling and his inheritance in God. Consequently, 
he was without a name that would become his blessed destiny. So to be in a covenant is to have a name. To have a name is to have a fate from God, a blessed fate from God. How important water baptism is for us. This is the circumcision on the eighth day. The children were circumcised and they were given a name. And in the circumcision, pastor presents for us the death of the Lord Jesus and water baptism. That here we receive a name and we have a blessed fate from God. Luke 2, 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Based on this passage's meaning, we can only receive a guarantee of our inheritance in Jesus Christ after repentance at the moment when we make a covenant with God through water baptism. And in order to enter into such a covenant with God, we must renounce those advantages and dependencies that tie us to the world out of which the Lord took us. To refuse or leave the world means to defeat this world with our faith that Jesus is Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4-5 through 5. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we overcome the world with the faith of God, the faith teaching of God. There is the faith of God, and there is our faith. Here it is written that this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. But in order to have our faith, we must understand what is God's faith, God's faith, my faith, our faith. God's faith is hearing the preached word about the kingdom of heaven through the messengers of God in the format of the decrees and commandments of God that is expressed in the reigning teaching of Christ. What are we doing right now? We are reading the words of the messenger of God. We are demonstrating our faith here? No, right now we are demonstrating the faith of God. Romans chapter 10 verses 16-17 But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now our faith is the readiness to obey and remain within the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. And such willingness is expressed through baptism. Not baptism unto repentance, but in the death of Jesus Christ in which we die. To the name we had in this world and receive a new name. Revelation chapter 2 verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. But the Lord has for each of us a new name. In Jesus Christ, this doesn't mean, you know, I like my name, I understand. But my name does not have all of the angles of Jesus Christ. The name of God that has all of the promises and all of the fate, for example, the name Daniel, the Lord is my judge. Not a bad name, a very good name, but it is limited. What if on this white stone we write, Shi'ar Deshub Maher Shalal Hajbaz? There is everything, beginning from justification. From the fruit of justification, we come to the fruit of righteousness. This means that the Lord says, When I will give to you a new name, I will give you a name in which will contain the fate that is going to speak of the salvation of your spirit, soul, and body. The Lord is not against our name. Daniel, Vladimir, Ivan, 
but to give a new name as when on the throne of our heart there is going to be a promise under the name Methuselah. In this name, there is a lot that is contained, and there is Daniel and Vladimir who has peace, the, the meaning of, of his name. Fourth, a new name received in water baptism must separate us from the world which God condemned to death and destruction and join us to a new destiny in which we will be able to eat sacramental manna. For no one is family, the waters of the flood were symbols of such a baptism. So what is water baptism? They are symbols of the flood. This means that the waters of the flood were a symbol of baptism, of course. And for him, the doctrine of water baptism consisted in the revelation about how to build the ark. Here he uncovered for Noah water baptism, and the waters of this flood were this water baptism. First Peter, we are talking about those saints, especially those young people who have not yet made a water baptism. We must see here that when a, a young man, a young boy or girl, when they undergo water baptism, they are undergoing and being immersed in the waters of this flood. First Peter chapter 3, verses 20-21 through 21, In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us. So Peter combines, saying, talking about the flood of Noah, he says, Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For Noah and his family, water baptism was not a cleansing of carnal wickedness, the building of the ark which prepared him for water baptism in which he was immersed in the death of Christ was in fact the making of a covenant between his good conscience and God's. On the basis of this, he received a guarantee that he would be saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which for him meant walking out of the ark into a new world where there was no more sin and death. Because it is only through water baptism that the cross of our Lord Jesus goes into effect, by which, according to the Apostle Paul, crucifies us to the world and crucifies the world to us. Genesis 6.14 But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. These words, I, the world has been crucified to me, has died to me, and I to the world. Sometimes we die to the world, but the world doesn't die to us. Sometimes the world dies to us, but we don't die to the world. A short period of time comes, and then all of those, all of those people I went to school with, they're ones to get on my contact list. Do you have social networks? I don't have a single one. Do you do anything on Snapchat? I asked, what is Snapchat? I said, I heard this word. I don't even know what to do with this word. Do you take pictures? I said, no, I'm not against this. I'm not against this, but we must understand that water baptism, there's someone that has drowned there. Those, when, when people and zombies reappear in our lives, our, un, our unchristian people of this world appear there. What is this? Our baptism has not become baptism. They needed to have drowned when we were undergoing water baptism, but they like zombies appeared out of who knows where. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In this way, it is only when we are separated from the world that we can be joined to the Lord in the likeness of His death, so that as a result we may be joined with Him in the likeness of His resurrection, 
Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, so if we enter into the ark, we are immersed in the waters of the flood, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. God opens the door of the ark, we leave, exit out of it, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Therefore, if you and I are asked, what is water baptism? This is Noah's flood, in which all that was died, that was tied to this world, to the nation, it dies in the waters of the flood. These are the waters in the flood of Noah. Fifth, the purpose of water baptism is to bring us freedom from all sin and complete healing in every aspect of our lives. Isaiah 53, 4-5 Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. In water baptism, we see the price that God paid for our healing and redemption from all manner of sickness and sin. And all of this is in water baptism. A person who has made a water baptism with God, he must thank God, saying, Lord, I thank you that by your wounds I have been healed. And if I have not undergone water baptism and made a covenant with God, if I have not sealed my faith in water baptism, then we can't pray with these words. These words are only for those people people of the covenant, I thank you that by your wounds I have been healed, we pray. Six, the purpose of water baptism is to return man to the paradise he lost, which God planted in Eden, and in this way to open the path to the tree, fruit of the tree of life. Revelation 2, 6, to him who overcomes I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. A person is going to eat of the tree of life, which is amid, in the midst of the paradise of God. Christ is the one who overcomes, because with his death, he defeated the one who has power over death. Therefore, simply by identifying ourselves with his death, with water baptism, we become co-victors with him. In water baptism, it's not painful to me, it was painful to him. When Noah entered into the ark, it was not painful to him. He had endured that horror from that pain that Christ had endured. When I look at what was done with Christ, I don't feel pain, but I come to horror from those waves and those hits that hit the ark. I say, my God, someone is in such pain right now for me. And by in water baptism, we are immersed in the ark and death begins to hit it from all different sides, begins to hit from different sides. And when it hits, God says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I, in these hits, I'm drowning all of your friends, this whole world, and my son, I am hitting Satan. I am hitting all of your friends and your classmates. I am hitting in your son. I am, and just as I hit my son, I want to hit all of those who are trying to pull you into sin. Lord, well, how much can the Son of God be hit? How much, how much is he ought to be hit? Christ must resurrect in my life in order for this hitting to cease, because he has already risen, resurrected. The tree of life is the elementary teachings of Jesus in the form of the twelve gates of the New Jerusalem, as well as the twelve foundations of the wall of this beautiful eternal city. The root system of this tree is the doctrine of baptisms, the first of which is water baptism. We are going to feed from the tree of life, which again, again, and again, with its roots, uh, 
points to water baptism. Our dwelling and our eating from the tree of life is the ability to know those powers that are contained in water baptism. As soon as a person has forgotten the powers contained in it, then that's it. These fruit be, fruits begin to be ruined. They begin to fall off the tree. Why are these fruits ruined? Because it must be a part of the roots and the roots must be at the very very root which is water baptism so that we can offer fruit in our lives seventh the purpose of water baptism is to open the heavenly floodgates so that the holy spirit can descend on the one being baptized matthew 3 16. when he had been baptized jesus came up immediately from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and alighting upon him this is how much the Pentecostals don't like. This means that during baptism, the Holy Spirit descends. We begin to speak in tongues. No, during baptism, here the Holy Spirit is present. Baptists make a mistake in that they say that uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit with the speaking in tongues as part of the apostles. Uh, today, a lot of, uh, not long ago, this person came up to me and said all of this is is false i don't like tongues his water baptism ceased to be baptism and pentecostals say baptists won't be saved because we receive holy spirit only baptism of the holy spirit well then a question what kind of holy spirit i received holy spirit when i made a covenant with god in water baptism what baptism have you what Holy Spirit have you received? Because their baptism in the Holy Spirit ceased to become baptism. We received the Holy Spirit and Jesus received when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Devil said, I will place my throne in the northern side. I will distort the teaching of baptism, the death of the Lord Jesus. And there were many different denominations that will come up, that will exist, that are going to resist one another. And we see this today in these denominational jungles that exist. When one of the highest ranking courtiers of the Queen of Ethiopia, her treasurer, came to Jerusalem to worship and having worshipped the God of Israel was returning home and reading Isaiah, the Spirit said to Philip, to Apostle Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah because he was reading out loud and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? We understand what they were talking about when they were, uh, when they were here. Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they saw, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord came up. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way of rejoicing. He thought that the Lord of God from heaven had come, but this was the messenger of God. The word apostle is angel. He is angel, messenger. First of all, it follows from this account that Philip preached to the eunuch the gospel of water baptism in Jesus Christ. That is why the eunuch, upon learning about the rights and responsibilities contained in water baptism, said to Philip, 
what hinders me from being baptized? What were they talking about? Water baptism. He talked about baptism and a covenant with God. If we were going in place of Philip, in place of him, we would come to water baptism or would we arrive to something else? Philip brought him to water baptism, to the covenant. And second, the water baptism that John the Baptist performed was not meant for absolution, but repentance. I indeed baptized you with water unto repentance, which told people that they must believe in the one who comes after John, that is Jesus Christ, who will baptize them in the Holy Spirit and with fire. This pointed to the fact that one must be baptized not unto repentance, but the righteousness contained in the name of Jesus Christ, which could endow a person with the authority to work righteousness when defending the just judgments of God. The death of Jesus Christ on Golgotha, with which we identify ourselves when we are baptized in water, is the recompense for our sins, only on the condition that we understand the authority of this baptism and preserve ourselves in it. God's absolute holiness and justice were satisfied in the death of the Son of God. This person who had heard Philip, he had dwelled in this teaching because he knew that it would not be a long conversation and this conversation was in place to lay a foundation. Talking about water baptism and talking about a covenant that is necessary to receive justification, righteousness, and then to affirm it in water baptism. We will continue to talk about the purpose of water baptism and so the eighth one. The eighth purpose of water baptism is the authority and power to always carry the death of the Lord Jesus in our bodies, which will allow the life of Jesus to flow in them. 2 Corinthians 4.10 Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14-16 through 16. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And we know that to be hot means to be alive to God, to be cold means to be dead to sin, and to be lukewarm means to be a person with a tolerant way of thinking. So we must have this presence of heat and coldness in relation to sin and in relation to this world. And uh, the state of lukewarm is, um, is not allowed. The ninth purpose of water baptism is to be a consecration, to be sanctified, to honor God and do His good works. Revelation 22.11 He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And this is possible. Only when we make uh, conduct water baptism. Why? It's necessary to receive a seal of righteousness in water baptism on the document of righteousness, and then the righteous is able to practice righteousness. To receive the power to be righteous and holy, we must understand the authority contained in water baptism. This is what when we confess our sins before baptism, accept forgiveness, accept justification, and then we make a covenant with God and our names are written, we receive a great fate and we are then clothed in the powers of God to be sanctified and dedicated. All of this is water baptism is called to do. And this, of course, is necessary for all of us to remember and to know.
how important it is to look at water baptism. A majority of us here have been baptized in water, but take a look at how everything is like new. We knew these truths before, but it sounds new today. We need to once again, once again and again, be affirmed in them. Tenth, the purpose of water baptism is called to give us the authority to shepherd our uncircumcised thoughts and crush them with an iron rod and serve as a guarantee that we will receive the morning star. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 through 29. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. So nations, our uncircumcised thoughts. He shall rule them, all these uncircumcised thoughts, with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Interesting. To tend to the nations. How do we tend to the nations? That rod that tends to us, the preached word, we use this rod in order to break all of the authority of the Gentiles over us and to overcome them, rule them with a rod of iron, is to break them, for them to not control us, for us to not be based on our dreams, our visions, on that which we feel, but those thoughts that we, so that we allow the word of God to tend to us. And Lord says, I will give to this person a morning star. This is the ability that to tend to these nations is to break them with this rod of iron, with a proclamation of our lips. We do not accept reproach on the saints of God. Sometimes people come up and say, a sister comes up to me and begins to gossip against another. And she says, I forbid you to gossip against the heir, against the heir of God. And then this lady says, you are going to say this to me? How dare you? Well, no, stop slandering and reproaching the heritage of God. A, a person in this case had used the rod of iron and he had used it correctly so that all of these uh, nations, these Gentiles, could be broken. Therefore, we must gain courage so that when people that may seem respected by us, when they begin to reproach the heritage of God, we forbid them. They might, be, uh, they might become bitter and become resentful, but this is the correct thing to do for us to carry up, take up this rod of iron. Because we need to think about eternity. The 11th purpose of water baptism is to rapture us to meet the Lord in the clouds in the due time appointed by the Father and His authority by the power of the death of the Lord which is in our bodies. Matthew 24, 27-28 For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. A carcass is a symbol of the death to sin we experience in water baptism. It is there where the scent of the carcass is. A carcass, again, is a symbol of the death to sin we experience in water baptism. This is a testament to our freedom and independence from the slavery of sin, as well as a testament to our bondage to righteousness. And eagles according to the words of Christ, are the angels of God who will accompany the saints at the moment of their ascension to God. 
Just as the eagle unerringly finds the carcass, so the angels of God will, by the presence of the death of Jesus in our bodies, find who to rapture and who to leave for the great tribulation. The carcass gives off a smell, and this smell will be for the angels a sign, just as the blood on the door frames in Egypt was a sign of the death of our Lord Jesus. And therefore, whether Israelite or Egyptian, no man died. The angel of God who commits this judgment over people had was able to notice this blood. Thus will be with those who dwell in water baptism. Twelfth. The purpose of water baptism is called to give us the authority to approach the powers of the age to come, beginning at Mount Sinai and ending with the blood of sprinkling, which speaks better things than that of Abel. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What does it mean that you have come to? To come to means to come near to, approach, join with, identify with, to know, be enlightened, to receive power, and to be clothed in this power. If you noticed, the action of the verb to come, or come to, alludes to a kind of sequential or regular behavior accomplished by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, which binds together all the powers we approach in water baptism. The powers we must approach in water baptism are defined by this passage of scripture as ten promises. Hebrews chapter 12, which we have read. First, what do we come to in order to come to the sprinkling of the blood which speaks things better than that of Abel? First, as Apostle Paul writes in the book of Hebrews, it is necessary to come to Zion, to come to Mount Zion. This means that first, first identification with Mount Zion is identification with the place on which was built and erected the city of the living God. Symbolically, this is the place where God placed a memorial to His name on which we can build ourselves, out of ourselves, a temple of God. And not, not in every church and in every place God placed a memorial to His name. That's why not with every, it's not with every place that we must make a covenant with. That we must be one with Zion, one with the truth. Pastor on Friday had preached how we need to be betrothed to, to Zion. This is not just to become a member of the church. This is not just to make a water baptism and become a member. To be betrothed, this is to be betrothed with the church. To be betrothed to Zion, this means that now I can be separated with the church only by two things. First, I can't take away my membership. I might be able to die spiritually and leave this church. Second, I will die in the I will die physically and I will be buried in the church. And there's no other way to leave the church. We can't say I want to take away my membership. Please, you have excommunicated yourself from the church because the key word to be betrothed, to be betrothed to Zion. A woman doesn't have the right to be married to another man if her husband is alive. The husband is, die, dies where? When he physically dies or when he joins together with another woman. We can't say I take away my membership from the church. Before becoming a member, 
pastor says, you're given three months. And these three months, you must understand that when you make a covenant, this is for your whole life. Now, you might die in this church. I will be buried. Or I might die to this church. Two options. There is no third option. This is called to be betrothed to Zion. Therefore, when people leave the church and they say, please pass along to them that I have taken away in my membership, I congratulate you, you have just died. And if you, uh, if you sin with uh, sins not being under the protection of the church, a wife then has an opportunity to divorce this kind of a person. Second, identification with the city of the living God. We want to approach the blood of Christ. First, he says, you must partake to Mount Zion. Second, you must partake to the city of the living God. This is a guarantee of a new body in Jesus Christ, which is the material out of which we will build this city. I receive a partaking to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will be comprised of living people. We, each of you, we are a material for God, a precious stone, out of which he will build his heavenly Jerusalem, his bride. If we take this precious stone away, there's nothing that can be held on this foundation. We build ourselves into the temple of God. We are this Jerusalem. We have a partaking to the living God. Third, we need to have identification or partaking with the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, we must partake to Zion, the city of the living God, and to the heavenly Jerusalem. This is a guarantee of our belonging to the bride of the Lamb. Revelation 21, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. To have a partaking to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is there where the light is. The lamp is. A burning lamp is the mighty word of God and the mighty Holy Spirit who uncovers the significance of this word. This means that this church is Jerusalem. Fourth, partaking uh, with the host of angels. We have a partaking with them. Where are we going? We are going to the blood of Christ. And it turns out that we need to have a partaking to the host of angels. This is partaking with those people whom Christ confesses before the angels of God. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 9. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So to have a partaking to the angels of God, to the hosts of angels, this is to have a partaking to those people who proclaim, confess Christ, and to those people and myself whom Christ confesses before his countenance and before his angels. This means that we have a partaking to the host of angels. Fifth, we're arriving closer and closer to the blood of Christ. Fifth, partaking with a triumph, triumphant convocation is celebration of the Lord's feast at the head of which is the Sabbath. And we know what Sabbaths were celebrated by Israel in the first month, the fourth day was the Passover. This was the death of our Lord Jesus. Again, we were talking about the Holy Convocation, the feasts. These were the feasts in Israel. They had declared the uh, the Passover, the death of the Lord Jesus. The 15th day of the same month was the Feast of Unleavened Bread Offerings to the Lord, where we accept the intact truth. 
the day of the first sheave of wheat was collected at the beginning of the harvest is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. It must be present if we want to partake to the Holy Convocation. That is not all. After 50 days, there is a new bread offering, the feast of the Pentecost or the arrival and the dissension of the Holy Spirit. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have rest, the festival of trumpets and a holy convocation. This is when we confess the name of the Lord and call the inexistent as existent. Ninth day of the seventh month is a day of purification. You shall have a holy convocation. Humble your hearts. Any heart that does not humble itself on this day will be destroyed from among its people. Meaning I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God. In the fifteenth day of that same seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles. Seven days to the Lord is a symbol of our readiness for rapture. Take a look at how many feasts were celebrated in Israel. And scripture says that we must have a partaking to this holy convocation. All of these feasts that were in Israel, we must understand what they tell us of, and they must find their place in our heart. Sixth thing that we approach to, or come to, this is partaking with the congregation of the first fruits whose names are written in heaven. This is partaking to the 144,000 who were redeemed from this earth. And these 144,000, they are the firstborn of God, and they are in us. And how do we define that they are in us? They have a union uh, with Zion, with Jerusalem, and their pastor leads them through his preached word. This means that we have the powers and that we have the firstborn right in Christ Jesus. Seventh, this is our partaking to the judge of all with God. When will we come to the blood of Christ? Well, first we have to partake with the judge of all with God. We partake in affirming the judgments of God written in Scripture. And these judgments of God, as we had seen, these judgments of God begin to be confessed during water baptism when we die to the world and the world dies to me. But when it begins to become alive to me again, I remember the powers of water baptism and these zombies are once again covered through proclamations by considering myself dead to sin and alive to God and then they again disappear into the Black Sea on the very bottom of it. It's necessary to have a partaking to God, the judge of all who began to reveal himself, even starting with water baptism. Eighth, we must partake to the spirits of the righteous who have attained to perfection. This is to partake to the gold that is cleansed of all impurities. This is the Lord cleansing us through his word. When he places us in the furnace of suffering, when we begin to suffer for the truth, suffer together with the truth, then we have a partaking to these righteous who were able to attain to perfection. Ninth, it's necessary to partake to the intercessor of the New Testament, and this is partaking to the activities of priesthood with being a king and priest to God. Revelation 1, 5 through 6, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have a relationship to the intercessor of the New Testament when we become kings and priests and not when Christ intercedes for us. He wants this intercession to be done together with us, because we are a holy priesthood. And this gives us the right to partake to the intercession of the New Testament. And tenth, this is to partake with the sprinkling, and this is of the blood, this ability and the right to cleanse the heart of a guilty conscience by sprinkling the blood 
of Christ. Hebrews 10, verses 21 through 23. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. A true heart is a heart that is cleansed of a blemished conscience. A blemished conscience are dead works. Dead works are not always evil works. They might be good works, but the initiator of which is not God, but myself. Therefore, I, by concluding at this note, I would like to ask those who would like to repent before the church, before pastor, in the fact that last Friday I had a good work which was not a good work in front of God's eyes because I made this kind of a service of questions and answers and you know it seemed like a good work it seemed we might want to hear this we might to ask questions and hear answers this is a good work but the initiator of this good work was not God it was perhaps something that was carnal something that was unclean so therefore a good work is not always a dead work a dead work also includes good works, the initiator of which is not God. Therefore, saints, I take my words back. Let the initiator be of God in his order. Let the initiator be the messenger of God. Therefore, I repent before my God, Jesus Christ. I bring my, I ask forgiveness before pastor and before all of you. I did not speak to this a pastor. I simply just had something in me that I thought was a good work. But I trembled in my heart then, was shaken. I thought, why do we need to simply hear answers from our pastor? It's best that we pray and stand on the words that God, that pastor returned to us. We're not against the video sermons. Well, why not we concentrate all of our energy to use the firsthand word of God so that pastor can be restored before us. And the time is found in God the Father's hands that's why on our end, we need to run to the first-hand word of God. Pastor on, on, his, on his end runs to the first-hand word, to the second-hand word. He does all that the doctors tell him. But we can arrive to the first-hand word, be clothed in proclamation and bless. That's why, once again, let my action serve as an illustration of what is a dead work. This is a good work, the initiator of which was not God. That's why I call all of you upon this place. I will repent together with you of all of our dead works. Dead works are evil works behind which our soul stands. We wait for you at the altar. May you be blessed.
will pray with our prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for us. He is not against us. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He has given us the work of His redemption. He has stood between us and our enemies in order to protect us and in order to lift us up to His level. Our eyes be closed. This is an element of the mystery secret room. Our hands raised to the heavens. This is a sign that our hands are without anger and without doubt. Please pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you and upon this holy place in the congregation of your holy people, I uncover my heart so that you can see my pain, my suffering, my wound that has been brought on by sin and lust which I despise and which I reject. I come to you with my illness, with my fears, with my wounded honor and my dignity that has been ashamed. I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wound, restore me and protect me by the blood of your Son. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Our sins and transgressions are forgiven us in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands, the tens of thousands around you, but not draw near you. May all the blessings in the ancient hills and everlasting mountains come upon you. May with the noise the power of death be cast out of your body and in its place may the power of life be lifted up. May all of this come upon you and upon all of your descendants and may all the people say, Amen. I hope let today's day be a transfer to a new level which will allow the third book of Kings to bring the powers of those revelations which are written there to life. That the Lord can erect a temple in the face of His church which He can boast of. Let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to Him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory in unblemished joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>